0: Welcome to Think Health. My name is Jake Morecambe. As is the case for many autoimmune disorders, making sense of the symptoms can sometimes see you wandering around in circles. Celiac disease is one of these disorders, where the very general, yet in some cases severe, symptoms of an aversion to gluten are mistaken for something else, or in three out of four cases are never properly diagnosed. Today on Think Health you'll learn what it is about celiac disease that makes it so hard to fully recognize, and some of the innovative measures trying to break through and identify gluten intolerance in early stages of life.
1: Hi, I'm Olga Shimoni and I'm a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Science.
2: Hi, I'm Michael Wallach, I'm professor of parasitology. And Associate Head of School for External Engagement for the School of Life Sciences.
1: Hi, I'm
3: Anant Deepkor, and I'm a PhD candidate at UDS Science.
2: I would like to
0: start by talking about you, Olga. It was only a short time ago that you were in fact diagnosed with celiac disease. How did that play out for you?
1: I've been diagnosed about a bit more than one year ago. I had suspicion that something's wrong with my digestive system for quite a while, but I never happened to go and look deeply what's happening. So I made a appointment with my GP, did a blood test, and then went to gastroenterologist and went through the whole process of diagnosis of celiac disease.
0: How did the symptoms initially present?
1: So when you eat, you feel bloated, a bit of constipation, there's a really uncomfortable feeling, you feel sluggish, and also there is a bit of rash on the skin as well.
0: One of my close girlfriends was recently diagnosed too, and it wasn't for a couple of weeks, maybe even months, that she'd pieced together to go see someone about what it might be because she had no clue. Were, you, were yeah. you switched on about what it may or might not be?
1: Previously, before we started studying about celiac disease, I had no clue what a celiac disease is actually about. Yes, I've heard about gluten intolerance, but I didn't know how deeply it goes. And that's a situation here. Most of the people, they never even suspected that they have celiac disease.
0: And how do you draw that line between what is a gluten intolerance and what is celiac disease?
1: Gluten intolerance and celiac disease, exactly the same things. But celiac disease is just degraded uh, on different levels. And gluten intolerance, basically, it presents in all levels. But what is different, how much damage caused to your body.
0: And Michael, to jump to you, looking to what's happening inside the body when someone is diagnosed or starts experiencing celiac disease,
2: what does it look like? What's
0: happening in the body?
2: So celiac disease is actually an autoimmune disease similar to um, Crohn's, type 1 diabetes, and other autoimmune-type phenomenon. Uh, The body is attacking itself. It's bringing uh, the intestine to the point where it loses the folds that it has in the mucosa, which is the lining of the intestine where food is absorbed. And if you lose those folds or villi, um, you lose the ability to absorb nutrients. That can uh, lead to exactly what Olga described. And in uh, severe cases, you can lose a lot of weight, become anorexic, uh, leads to other complications. So it is a very serious disease. More than gluten intolerance, it actually is the body attacking itself. Why does it start attacking itself? That's uh, the $64,000 question. Uh, There's certainly a genetic background to this. So if you have a certain type of gene makeup, Uh, that's prone to this disease, the minute your body sees the gluten, will say, oh my gosh, and start to react to it inappropriately. In the Western world, or more developed world, I should say, there's a tendency now to see a lot of autoimmunity. People think it's because we keep too clean. Uh, Food is too sterile. And our body sort of, if you want to look at it in a very simple way, where it normally would fight in the past and no longer needs to fight, and there's a tendency for an increase in autoimmunity in, in all its forms.
0: Because celiac disease really only came into my vocabulary or understanding within the past couple of years or so. Are we seeing that there are, in fact, more cases of
2: celiac disease just across the spectrum? In our review article, we wrote that, in fact, the number of cases is doubling every two decades. In fact, in all forms of autoimmunity, it's increasing at such a rate. So I understand there's about 1 out of 100 to 1 out of 250 people have celiac, 80% of which don't know it.
0: And this is something that you've in fact been researching or kind of identifying the trends across the years?
3: Uh, yes, so what we observed was that 75%, particularly for celiac disease, remain undiagnosed. The same is with United States, you have 83% people being unidentified with celiac disease. And we observed that even in places where wheat or such crops have been eaten for over centuries, even those populations, they're showing celiac disease.
0: And so because it remains undiagnosed in so many cases, why is that? Is it should, it's not being recognised by the person experiencing it or the medical practitioner not really knowing what's going on? I think
3: it's uh, just like Olga said, the symptoms are very general. So it's very difficult to pinpoint the initial stage, like stage 1 or 2, that this is celiac because the symptoms, they overlap with other gastrointestinal disorders. This makes the identification very tricky. And it's also this part stage one and two which is actually a challenge for diagnosis for celiac disease.
0: Is there a particular part of the population that is predisposed to something like celiac disease or is it random?
3: The presence of the gene is kind of uh, necessary for the disease to present itself but this gene has been now shown to have a worldwide present. So we're talking about the HLA-DQ gene and this gene has now been shown to be present worldwide. Maybe the presence has become so prominent because, you know, over the years we have become like a global food bowl. So everyone's eating everything. So the expression of this gene is now coming to everyone's notice.
0: And what sort of limitations in a dietary capacity does it put on? One of my girlfriends was so mad that she had to divert to particular types of breads and like even crackers. She came over the other day and just like, is that gluten free? Is that gluten free? What does it actually change in reference to what you can eat, go? How have you experienced that?
1: So the treatment for celiac disease is quite simple. You just go for gluten-free diet. So basically, gluten includes in wheat, barley, and, and rye. And uh, if you say crackers, some of the crackers, rice crackers sitting next to some of the wheat crackers... And just the crumbs—that's what I call cross-contamination. In some patients, just not just crumbs, but uh, you know, some uh, really small inclusion can cause this adverse reaction in celiacs
0: Do we know what it is about these food products themselves that has this sort of like internal physiological reaction? Because wheat and barley and all that sort of stuff is something that is grown. Michael, why? What? What is it about wheat that just
2: gets people weeping? <clears throat> Yeah, and was surprised to find you know aller- allergies or immune responses to peanuts, and uh, milk and eggs and all sorts of basic uh, foods. As I said earlier, in terms of early times when when wheat started to be grown, it was under conditions where people probably had a very different intestinal um, microbiome or flora into which it was going, and it, it appears to be the case that as we've changed the way we eat in in developed countries. The type of microbiome that we must have, we've increased our sensitivity enormously to things that in the past were relatively inert. And I think therein lies the conundrum. And I think what scientists are thinking today is how can I manipulate the microbiome or the bacteria that are in your gut so that it promotes health? And so, how exactly would we do that? What does that mean? So, it means using probiotics, prebiotics, there's even for Crohn's disease. A treatment where which sounds a little gross where people swallow worms that's an interesting approach what happens you see is the immune system is not very happy <laughs> so things like worms that we never see in our diet in western developed countries which you do in developing countries uh, has had a positive effect on people with crohn's disease which is another autoimmune gut disorder and that somehow manages to alleviate the, the symptoms through pushing the immune system towards good behavior and towards recognizing foreign things. And uh, that's an exciting area of research going on at UTS and around the world. And knowing that, moving forward, you're doing some pretty innovative stuff in the area of
0: saliva testing. Where did this idea come from? That was something you were undertaking for your PhD?
3: The idea came up. Uh, when I was doing my master's with Professor Michael and we were hearing a lot about gluten allergy and we thought we would like to develop a diagnostic test for celiac. And so we over the time we've developed this idea of using the saliva to help in the diagnosis for celiac disease. So it's kind of uh, in the direction of a non-invasive, quick, early detection for celiac disease.
0: And so what is it? Is it kind of like a tongue swab or something like that?
3: Yes, something like you can uh, use your own saliva. You could just spit your saliva (laughs) in a tube and see if you are positive or not. But we are also working simultaneously on a blood-based test, so trying different options. The aim is to have early and quick and sensitive yet specific diagnosis for celiac.
0: Why having a saliva Sample: how would that be indicative of the presence of celiac disease? What's the physiological link?
3: The mouth forms an integral part of the gastrointestinal tract. So any changes in the intestine might as well be reflected in the saliva. So we've also seen that biomarkers, which are in this case enzymes that are expressed in the digestive tract, they can be used to indicate the presence or absence of celiac disease and concentrations of these biomarkers have been found in the saliva so it pretty much expresses the same biomarkers but definitely at a lower concentration
1: but it can be used imagine little kids uh, someone like babies they cannot speak what symptoms they have and mothers young mothers go crazy Thinking, what's happening with them? Those little kids cannot tell them, my tummy hurts or something's wrong. They cannot speak for themselves. Imagine the possibility that this mom would say, oh, maybe something's wrong with digestive sin, and just go buy some test, similar like pregnancy test, but for testing saliva. And we all know kids drool quite a lot. (laughs) So collect saliva and just quick check to see if this mother should take uh, her kid to see specialist gastroenterologist or GP or anyone else to look into into this problem more seriously.
0: So celiac disease can present as early as when like, you're a child?
1: Well, as Michael said, that the common thing is a genetic predisposition. But this disease can happen as early as baby is born to as late as you're going to retirement and even later people can live with it whole their life and wouldn't know what's happening with them so in what step it will happen and you start showing symptoms no one knows exactly and uh, if that for kids uh little babies that could be quite a nice solution for them
0: If you have or live with celiac disease, are you predisposed to other sorts of
2: autoimmune disorders? Is it interlinked with anything else? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, One of the big questions in autoimmunity in general is why do people develop certain types of autoimmune disorders and not the other one? There are cases where people have multiple autoimmune diseases, indicating that there's just a general tendency towards that phenomenon. Others will only have one type of autoimmune response. I guess, again, it goes back to this situation in which the immune system tilts towards fighting uh, yourself, and how it happens, where it happens, will manifest some sort of symptoms, but it's not something you can predict, and it's truly a big problem. So as we're seeing in in celiac, in asthma, and all these sorts of things, it's getting to the point where children in particular, as Olga rightly says, at a very young age, we're seeing these types of phenomenon that are affecting everyone's lives. It's an interesting conversation about celiac disease
0: because there's also this real cultural apprehension to gluten now. So many things I'll see at the supermarket, whether or not I, in fact, have a gluten intolerance, are branded as gluten-free. Where did this particular movement come from? Is it, has it latched onto the fact that people are aware of it? Is it bad? Should I not be eating gluten?
1: Eating gluten is not a bad thing, and many people should aware, because of the gluten-free diet, fat diet, it's not very healthy to go on gluten-free diet without having celiac disease. Yes, it saves the lives of celiac patients, but you don't need to go on gluten-free diet, better don't do, because... Uh, gluten-free diet uh, usually contains grains from rice or corn, something that doesn't include gluten. But those type of foods, they're high GI foods. So it's not necessarily healthy for you. If you eat the high GI foods, it can elevate the amount of sugar in your blood and can cause type 2 diabetes or cause some cardiovascular disease, anything. So... You should be really aware. Are you celiac or not celiac?
2: The other thing I'll just add to that is why has gluten intolerance become such a issue? The bowel is a very complex thing. And um, there are a lot of bowel disorders that get blamed on gluten. The minute you get a stomach ape or a cramp, you think you have gluten intolerance. And then you may find, I'll, I won't eat bread today. And you may find, okay, I felt better that day. And then it becomes generalized. Now I know I'm gluten uh, intolerant. So it's it's a lot of misunderstanding about this subject and people looking for answers. I think in today's world, we constantly want an explanation for everything. Often in the case of bowel disorders, there is no explanation. And some of them are very difficult to even diagnose and pinpoint what in the world's going on. Also with diarrhea, the causes of diarrhea, there's so many different causes. They all go undiagnosed. So if you have diarrhea and immediately say, "Okay, now I'm gluten intolerant," you can then say, "I have an explanation," and then you feel better because you say, "Okay, now I know what to do." But sometimes there is no explanation, and we're really just are totally guessing. And then, how
0: have you found this?
2: How have you found your research kind of influence what you
0: eat? Are you eating more gluten? Are you eating less?
3: Well, I'm kind of aware. Every time I go to the market, you know, supermarket to buy groceries, I. One thing I'm noticing is the increasing number of gluten-free labels on products like rice, which doesn't contain any gluten. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to know this marketing trend and how it's being targeted. So as Olga said, eat wholesome food. If you have celiac disease, please follow the gluten-free diet. But if you don't have, then don't follow it as a diet fad.
1: It's funny that uh, even shampoo now has a gluten-free label. Really?
0: What? Like, does your hair bask in the nutrients <laughs> of gluten? What's What's the deal with that?
1: <laughs> uh, uh, I think this question you should point to producers of this shampoo. Just, just sounds a, good,
2: you know. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's just a marketing ad for for people
0: seeping into other consumer products. Exactly. Yeah. Wonder what will be next. Gluten free sweaters, clothing.
1: Oh, the, there is. There is.
0: Oh, really? Wow.
2: Uh, yeah, some, <laughs> and you thought You were joking. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, uh, well, yeah. I've seen really weird uh, things uh, like salt. Gluten free
0: salt. Is there even gluten in salt?
1: No. Of course
0: not. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs>
0: Olga Shimoni, Michael Wallach, and Anand Deep Core from the University of Technology, Sydney. That's it for Think Health. If you like the show and aren't already subscribed, you can do so now. Just jump onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and just search for Think Health. You can also find out more on our website, 2SER.com forward slash Think Health. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Jake Morecambe. I'll catch you next time.